Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D., and today I'll be covering the case of Lacey Fletcher in Slaughter, Louisiana. Let's get right to it. Lacey Ellen Fletcher was born on November 25, 1985. According to the Daily Mail, when she was around nine years old, Lacey and her parents, Sheila and Clay Fletcher, purchased a home in between the Copper Mill Bayou and Black Creek in the 2500 block of Tom Drive. The two-story house was a quintessential country home. Brick with a metal roof, a large front porch, complete with a swing for those cooler southern nights overlooking a spacious and neatly manicured yard. From the outside looking in, it appeared to be that kind of simple but perfect life that a young girl growing up way out in the country would only dream of. And Slaughter, Louisiana is way out in the country. In fact, according to World Population Review, in 2023, Slaughter had a recorded population of a whopping 1,005 people. The town wasn't even designated a town until 2002. For a town with such an interesting name, the story behind it is pretty anticlimactic. In fact, the town has been through a couple of name changes. According to townofslaughter.org, the town originally was called Belzara and consisted of nothing more than a post office. As the railway began being built, the name changed to Burnsville after a man named Mr. Burns, who cut the right-of-way. But in 1889, with the completion of the railroad and a brand spanking new train depot, the name was changed to Slaughter, as a tribute of sorts to the original owners of the land on which it's located, a pair of brothers, Mr. Will and Joe Slaughter. That name obviously stuck. Anyhow, from the time Lacey was nine, Slaughter is where she called home. And for living out in the middle of nowhere, the home on Tom Drive was in a prime spot. Though the houses in the cul-de-sac were spaced out a little further apart than you would think of in a suburban neighborhood, they were close enough that the neighborhood kids could play together. It was like the best of both worlds. The freedom that comes with living out in the country but with all the fun that comes with having a group of neighborhood kids to hang out with after school and those long days of summer. Neighbors recalled to the Daily Mail that when Lacey Fletcher and her family first moved to the neighborhood, Lacey was like any other fun-loving girl, running around with the other kids. The family was active in a Baptist church in the nearby town of Zachary. Lacey attended Brownville Baptist Academy and played on the school volleyball team. Photos obtained by the Daily Mail show a smiling Lacey surrounded by her classmates, wearing a red cap and gown for her middle school graduation. Looking at the photos, Lacey appears like your typical middle school girl, making her way through the awkward middle school phase. And by all accounts, she was. But with high school and the teenage years approaching, things changed for Lacey. 
according to neighbors and friends as they all moved on from their childhood interest into more grown-up things. Lacey clung to her love of Disney movies and things that would generally interest kids of a younger age. Robert Blade Jr., who was a neighborhood kid alongside Lacey back then, recalled to the Daily Mail that around this time he noticed a change. He stated, She became different. She just didn't see things the way a lot of other kids did. He went on further to say, She was smart. She was smart as hell. But I guess the best way to put it is that she wasn't as mature as us. She still liked children things, not teenage things. When she was 17 or 18, she was more into Disney movies and country music. She did invite us over to watch Disney movies, despite being more withdrawn. But that wasn't my forte. I was 18. I used to ride motorcycles. A classmate of Lacey's who also spoke to the Daily Mail but did not wish to be identified put it this way. I remember her as a sweet, kind person. She was one of the first people that I was friends with when I started at the school and she was already there. She was thoughtful, just sweet is the word that I keep coming back to. One of the sweetest people you could ever meet, so very kind. Lacey could be quiet, but could also be vocal with her opinions. By the end of ninth grade, as Lacey's friends and classmates moved on to more mature things, Lacey kind of got left behind. Her parents reported that around this time, it became evident that Lacey suffered from social anxiety and according to her parents, and I'm quoting directly here, developed some degree of Asperger's syndrome. After the completion of ninth grade, she was taken out of school and homeschooled, according to her parents, due to her disability. That's when she lost contact with many of her friends from school, and the neighbors who once seen Lacey out and about pretty regularly began to see less and less of her. Neighbor Robert Blade Sr., he's the dad of the other neighbor who spoke to the Daily Mail. Truth be told, I'm not sure if there's actually a junior and senior behind their names, but the father and son share the same name, so I added that in for clarity purposes. Anyhow, Robert Blade Sr. recalled to the outlet that as the years ticked on, he saw Lacey out exercising in the neighborhood two to three times a week, walking around the cul-de-sac carrying small dumbbells. And then one day he saw Lacey out on a routine walk. It was around 2006 or so when Lacey would have been about 21 years old. There she was walking around the neighborhood with her little weights as she had numerous times before. He saw her and thought nothing of it. He didn't know it yet, but that would be the last time he ever saw Lacey Fletcher again. Although the details of that day don't stand out in any way. But how could they? You never know the last time is the last time until it's too late. And for Robert Blade Sr., it would be nearly 15 years. Although he, as many others, wondered from time to time where Lacey was. Had she gone on, got married, and started a life all of her own? Was she away at college, chasing her dreams, off on some grand adventure? For someone as smart as Lacey, the possibilities were endless. About 10 years after Robert Sr. last remembered seeing Lacey, so that would take us to around 2016 or 17, when Lacey would have been in her early 20s, he asked her father Clay about her. Robert recalled the conversation to the Daily Mail, stating, I said, how is Lacey? How's she doing? Has she moved off, went to college, or what? 
He replied, oh no, she's still here. She's fine, and then changed the subject. And that's it. He didn't explain why we hadn't seen her at all. I just took him at his word. And why wouldn't he? The Fletchers were upstanding members of their community, very involved in their church. Even as the years continued to tick on, no one suspected that anything was wrong. Lacey turned 20 and then 30. And life for the Fletchers appeared the same as it always had. Sheila and Clay had a nice house, reputable jobs, and were well-respected. In fact, state business filings show that Clay Fletcher was an officer of the nonprofit Baton Rouge Civil War Roundtable, which has a mission to, quote, educate and foster an appreciation for the sacrifices made by all during the Civil War. And Sheila Fletcher had worked as a police and court clerk in Baker before moving on to become assistant to the city prosecutor and nearby Zachary. Sheila was also on the town's board of aldermen which in case you're not familiar, is a local city legislative branch. Think a city council member or county commissioner. It's really just another name for the same type of governing body. According to her LinkedIn page, Sheila had served as an alderman for several years, at one point becoming part of the mayor pro team. I don't know exactly what that position entails, but it sounds important. I say all this just to say that Sheila and Clay seemed like all-around good church-going folks who took an interest in serving their community, which made what occurred next all the more shocking. It started out as many of these things do with a frantic 911 call. According to an incident report from the East Feliciana Parish Sheriff's Department obtained by Fox 26 News, At around 2.27 a.m. on January 3, 2022, Sheila Fletcher called 911 to report that her 36-year-old daughter Lacey wasn't breathing. Slaughter Police and the Fire Department both raced to the scene, never imagining the horror that awaited them behind the doors of the Fletcher home. According to the coroner, as he later spoke to WAFB, The first responders showed up on scene within 30 seconds of the 911 call. Officers found Lacey on the couch inside that house. It was clear right away that she was deceased. It was also clear that Lacey Fletcher had been severely neglected over an extended period of time. Looking around the house, officers noted that the home appeared well-kept, nice, neat, and clean even. That was except for an area in the family living room. In the living room, there was an overpowering smell of feces and urine. Lacey was there on the couch, her body sunken down into the actual couch itself. There was urine and feces in the couch and all over Lacey's emaciated body. WBRZ reported that the wooden floors underneath the couch were saturated in urine and feces, so much so that they were buckling under the pressure. Next to the sofa, a bedside toilet with a neat stack of clothes. There was nothing anybody could do for Lacey. So as they waited for the coroner to arrive, officers spoke to Lacey's parents to get down to the bottom of how something like this had happened. NOLA.com reported that Sheila Fletcher told officers that Lacey had developed, quote, some degree of Asperger's syndrome in ninth grade when she started being homeschooled. 
and that it was Lacey who decided never to leave the couch and instead went to the bathroom on the couch or a nearby towel. Sheila Fletcher claimed that she routinely cleaned her daughter's sores and that Lacey never complained, although she had refused to eat for the previous several days. Okay, Sheila. Clay told authorities that Lacey had developed phobias of things that had made her afraid to get off the couch for any reason, and both parents told investigators that their daughter hadn't seen a doctor in a long time. Later reports would confirm that the last time Lacey Fletcher had seen her psychologist was in 2002. It had been 20 years. According again to police reports obtained by Fox 26, the psychologist had treated Lacey as a teenager and diagnosed her with autism. And though he hadn't seen Lacey physically in 20 years, he had spoken once to the Fletchers by phone in 2010. It seems at that time the Fletchers were concerned about Lacey not wanting to go to the doctor. According to the report, the psychologist suggested the Fletchers contact the coroner to make Lacey go to the doctor. Depending on where you live, it might sound strange that a psychologist would advise you to contact the coroner for anything other than a body. However, in the U.S., different states assign different powers and responsibilities to coroners. In some states, like Idaho, the coroner has the power to arrest the sheriff. And in many parishes in Louisiana, the coroner's office can assist not only in death investigations, but also sexual assault cases and families dealing with mental health issues. Moving right along, when Sheila spoke with officers, she confirmed that she had spoken with a psychologist at one point, and he had suggested she call the coroner for assistance. However, Sheila claimed that Lacey didn't want to cooperate and that she believed Lacey was of sound mind to make the decision and didn't have any problems with her intellectual abilities. According to Sheila, Lacey was of sound mind. Tuck that little bit of information in your hat. It's going to be important later. With Lacey being found deceased, calling the coroner was no longer optional. Coroner Ewell Bickham was called to the scene at the home on Tom Drive. He arrived on scene within 10 minutes. He later spoke to WAFB recalling the events, stating to the outlet, When I first walked in the house, it smelled of feces, fecal material, however you want to put that politely, it stunk. And when I got to the body, the individual was basically sitting in a hole filled with liquid stool and urine. He, along with officers, documented the scene with video and photos. Several of those videos and photos were later shown by the district attorney to a reporter with the Daily Mail, who described the scene and Lacey's body in detail. Please take this as a warning. What I'm about to describe next is graphic and shocking in a way I don't exactly have the right words for, but it's unlike anything I've ever covered before. The description alone has been enough to keep me awake at night. But I believe in order for Lacey to get true justice, people need to understand what this sweet girl endured, because it's something that I honestly can't even begin to understand or even attempt to explain. The Daily Mail reported that Lacey appeared buried up to her shoulders in the wide and deep hole in the couch, a hole that years of excrement and her body had worn over the years, 
rubbing away the cushioning. She was slumped over on her left side with her right arm across the top half of her body near her neck. Lacey appeared naked apart from a small blue patterned t-shirt, which was pulled up on her chest, exposing her breasts. Her legs were pulled up and crossed underneath her. Lacey's face was covered in large red blotches. Excrement was smeared over almost her entire body. It was even matted in her hair and inside her ears. The brown leather sofa was alongside a wall with a gap of about 18 inches. To the couch's right side was a gray commode and a neat pile of clothes. And to the front, only a few feet away, a cluttered low black table. The table was strewn with lotion bottles, talcum powder, a pack of wipes, a nasal spray, a box with a lid that had a child's photo on it. Between the sofa and table were two neatly stacked boxes of DVDs. It wasn't possible to discern the titles, but some appeared to be childlike from the covers. And once Lacey's body was taken from the scene into the Jefferson Parish Forensic Center, the severity of the neglect Lacey had suffered was revealed. Her body had literally been rotting away while she was still alive. The flesh on her buttocks was worn from years of lying in her own waist on the couch. Maggots had begun to eat the dead tissue on various places on her body. The wounds on her buttocks went all the way down to the bone. There were large yellow areas where her skin had disappeared, and places on her back and buttocks that were so, for the lack of better words, rotted, that they were black, and it was impossible to determine what you were even looking at. Dr. Bickham would later state that Lacey, quote, melted into the sofa. The forensic examination revealed that Lacey had died from severe medical neglect, which led to chronic malnutrition, acute starvation, immobility, acute ulcer formation, osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection, a bone infection that led to sepsis. And at the time of her death, she also tested positive for COVID-19. Lacey Fletcher weighed just 96 pounds at the time of her death. At autopsy, the medical examiner found foam from the sofa and feces in her stomach. Twelve years. Dr. Bickham would later tell the world that Lacey Fletcher had lied there on that couch in her parents' home for at least 12 years. Dr. Bickham stated, Evidence-wise, a minimum of 12 years. Could be before that. At least 12 years. A terribly long period of time. For 12 years, Sheila and Clay Fletcher went to work, church, to visit friends, while their daughter literally rotted to death, eventually resorting to eating parts of the couch cushion and her own excrement while these two enjoyed countless meals, gallivanted off to town hall meetings, the Zachary City Prosecutor's Office, where Sheila worked, knowing full well that their one and only daughter was slowly and excruciatingly wasting away in the damn living room of their cozy little home with the manicured lawn. This went on for 12 fucking years. Initially, of course, Sheila claimed that during this 12 years, Lacey was of, quote, sound mind to make decisions 
and that her only diagnosis was Asperger's. Let's dive into that for just a hot minute. Some reports state that 36-year-old Lacey was autistic, others report that she had Asperger's, and her mother, Sheila, will later make another claim, which we'll get to, but this seems to have led to some confusion. The psychologist who treated Lacey as a teen confirmed in those reports that Lacey had been given a diagnosis of autism. Her mother reported more specifically that the diagnosis was Asperger's. Y'all know I had to do a little research, and I used several different sources, including my friends at Neuroclastic, which I just have to throw in every chance I get, is an incredible 501c3 nonprofit organization led by autistic self-advocates. Other sources were Very Well Health, NHS, WebMD, and the CDC. While Asperger's syndrome was added as a diagnosis to the fourth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM, in 1994 by the American Psychiatric Association to describe autism in children and adults that presented with no language delay. In 2013, when the DSM was updated and became the DSM-5, Asperger's was no longer used by clinicians as a diagnosis and instead fell under the umbrella of autism. It is still sometimes used as a way to describe an autistic person that commonly has low support needs and many times advanced speech and language skills, yet struggles with pragmatic language, or the social language skills that we use in our daily interactions with others, such as body language, eye contact, small talk, or taking turns in a conversation. Someone with a diagnosis such as Lacey would likely appear to be somewhat socially awkward, however highly intelligent, and have very low physical support needs, meaning day-to-day -day physical tasks wouldn't likely be an issue. And the fact that those that knew her described her as smart as hell and she was frequently seen jogging around the neighborhood with weights all seemed to support that. But the truth is, it's impossible to know exactly what type of support Lacey Fletcher needed to thrive. Dr. Stephen Shore, an autism advocate who himself is autistic, once said, If you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And that is so true. The reason that quote has become a common saying is because individuals diagnosed with ASD present with such unique strengths and difficulties and experience characteristics of their disability in different ways. And while we may never know exactly what led an active and intelligent young woman to become trapped inside her home on that couch, one thing is painstakingly clear. Her parents neglected Lacey's needs in an unimaginable, horrific, and criminal way. Time ticked on as the investigation into Lacey's death continued. Sheila and Clay remained free as the prosecutor arranged a grand jury to determine whether or not they would be indicted. Sheila resigned from her position as an alderman three weeks after Lacey's death. Clay left his job at the Baton Rouge Civil War Roundtable. The community was outraged as the days turned into weeks and weeks into months with no one being held accountable for Lacey's murder. But it wasn't just the small community of slaughter or even the state of Louisiana. Lacey's story had gone international, and the people wanted justice. 
May 2nd of 2022, nearly three months to the day Lacey had been discovered, a grand jury convened and indicted Sheila and Clay Fletcher, who were both 64, for second-degree murder and the death of their daughter, 36-year-old Lacey. The coroner, Dr. Ewell Bickham, spoke to the Daily Mail after the indictment, revealing that the photographs from the scene were so disturbing that medical personnel were on standby when the images were shown to the grand jury. Dr. Bickham stated to the outlet, When I was presenting the case and showed the pictures and gave the timeline, the expressions of the grand jury was utter shock. Like the clock on the wall never moved again. There was complete silence. Some jurors were gasping in horror. Some were staring in disbelief. Let me stress this just one more time. Lacey Fletcher endured conditions that simply viewing photographs of required medical attention. Dr. Bickham himself struggled after working Lacey's case. He told WBRZ that in his 30 years as a practicing physician, he'd never seen anything like it, stating, I couldn't eat for a week, and I cried for a week. When speaking to the Daily Mail, Coroner Bickham went on to address what amounted to rumors about Lacey Fletcher's medical condition. As it turned out, it was, and still is, being widely reported that Lacey suffered from locked-in syndrome. The original source of that claim remains unclear. Some reports say that the information came from Sheila Fletcher. Other reports claim it's speculation, and some seem to have pulled that claim straight up out of the blue clear sky with no source to back it up. Before we get into what the coroner had to say about that, let's talk about what exactly locked-in syndrome is. I used several sources to get a good overview of the syndrome, and for the sake of clarity, I'm going to go ahead and list them all up front, right quick, and then we'll get right into it. My sources were the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, National Organization for Rare Disorders, the Brain Foundation, and the Genetic and Rare Diseases Information Center. I'm sure that you notice from the sources alone that the word rare made several appearances. That is because locked-in syndrome is incredibly rare. In fact, it's estimated that fewer than 1,000 people in the United States suffer from this disease. And while no worldwide number is tracked, what I can tell you is that each year throughout the entire world, only a handful of cases are diagnosed. We've established that the odds that this would be the diagnosis are pretty low. But what exactly is locked-in syndrome and what causes it? Locked-in syndrome is a disorder of the nervous system, and those that suffer from it are generally completely paralyzed with the exception of the muscles that control eye movement. It's referred to as locked-in syndrome because while the person is completely incapable of moving, they are still completely conscious and their ability to think and reason is not affected. Since they are completely paralyzed, they are often unable to speak and usually communicate by blinking or through eye movements. It's literally as if their mind is trapped inside their body. They can think just as coherently as you or I can, but most are unable to voluntarily chew, swallow, speak, make facial expressions, or produce any body movements below their eyes. 
As you can imagine, someone with locked-in syndrome requires around-the-clock specialized care. As far as causation, it's most commonly caused by brain stem stroke, a traumatic brain injury, or tumors. And less commonly, a complication from diseases of the circulatory system, diseases that destroy the myelin sheath surrounding nerve cells like multiple sclerosis, infection, or a medication overdose. I could find zero reports of locked-in syndrome occurring spontaneously out of nowhere or stemming from a mental health condition, and absolutely zero link between locked-in syndrome, Asperger's, and autism. Anyhow, regardless of where the reports that Lacey Fletcher was suffering from locked-in syndrome originated, the coroner denied that Lacey had the condition. Stating to the Daily Mail, I don't know where that term came from or what source it came from. In all my years as a practicing physician, I have never heard of that term. He went on to say the only diagnoses that I knew she did have was first, social anxiety, severe autism, and that's it. Those are her only two diagnoses. The last time she saw a physician of any type or any kind was when she was 16 years old. With the indictment finally handed down on charges of second-degree murder, Sheila and Clay Fletcher turned themselves in later that afternoon of May 2, 2022, and were booked into the East Feliciana Parish Jail that same afternoon. According to Sheriff Jeff Travis, as he spoke to the media, the Fletcher's bonds were set at $300,000 each, and both tried to bond out that night. Sheila was able to, but they couldn't come up with enough money for both. Clay would have to spend one more night in jail. Apparently, chivalry ain't completely dead. Clay was released on bond later the following morning. I just want to point out here that bond rates for the great state of Louisiana range between 10 to 15 percent of the total bond amount, depending on the parish and the severity of the crime. But even lowballing the number using the absolute lowest rate, and we're talking about $60,000 between the two of them. That's a whole lot of money to come up with in less than 48 hours and just further drives home the point that Sheila and Clay had the resources to care for their daughter, but for whatever reason, they chose not to, which somehow makes this all feel a hundred times worse. After their release, the Fletchers declined media interviews, and instead, attorneys for the couple released a statement on their behalf which read, They don't want to relive the pain of losing a child through the media. They have been through a lot of heartache over the years. Anyone who has lost a child knows what it's like. Hold up, what? They've been through a lot of heartache over the years? What about the heartache of the daughter they left to die in filth in their cozy little living room while they continued to play church and city council? And to compare themselves to parents who have lost children due to no fault of their own. It's outrageous, and you would think an attorney would know better, but I guess that's what we get for thinking. Unfortunately, the Fletchers were to remain on bond until the trial. In July of 2022, they both officially entered a plea of not guilty. The trial was set to begin in June of 2023 
But the advocate reported that on May 8, 2023, the Fletcher's defense attorney, Stephen Moore, filed a motion to quash the indictments against his clients, arguing the DA's office served documents that were different from those filed with the local court clerk. The attorney said there were six mostly small but material differences between the court papers. He wrote in part, In sum, the indictment in the record is either a substitute or a different indictment returned by the grand jury. Moore also claimed that the records had been amended. One of those amendments, which was written by hand, added language from a law regarding cruelty to the infirm. That addition, the attorney said, was an untoward effort to, quote, create a new crime. He went on to write, The district attorney seeks to convict the Fletchers of second-degree murder by improperly amending the indictment so the state can attempt to convict by a lesser burden. At a hearing weeks later on May 30, 2023, District Judge Catherine Betsy Jones agreed. The second-degree murder indictments against the Fletchers were thrown out due to defective language in the original charging documents. This was devastating news, but District Attorney Sam D'Aquila promised to convene a second grand jury on June 19th, which just so happened to be the same day the trial was originally set to begin. D.A. D'Aquila spoke to the Advocate newspaper and said that the new indictments would get rid of the language from the cruelty to the infirm law. A new grand jury did in fact convene for a second time, and again Sheila and Clay were indicted on second-degree murder charges. The Fletchers were rearrested again and again were able to bond out of jail quickly. They remain out on bond awaiting trial a trial that D.A. Sam D'Aquila expects to begin sometime in the fall of this year. The D.A. spoke to the advocate and stated, We will ensure there is justice for Lacey, and the public knows that caregivers will be charged for neglecting or abusing a person in their care. But will there ever be true justice for Lacey Fletcher? Her parents are facing up to life in prison. But even life behind bars sure doesn't feel like enough, because prison is a cakewalk compared to the life, if you can even call it that, their daughter endured. We can debate Lacey's diagnosis or the fact that Sheila claimed Lacey was of sound mind, or whether or not she did or didn't have locked-in syndrome, or whether she willingly stayed on that couch, but the truth is, it doesn't matter. Any way you look at it, Lacey Fletcher needed help. Her parents were her caregivers, and they failed her, miserably and repeatedly, and they deserve to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And even that will never really be enough. For at least 12 years, they made a conscious, daily decision to allow their only daughter to lay in waste in their house. They had the resources, the knowledge, and they were fully capable of, at the very least, taking Lacey to a doctor. But they chose to look away, to go on living their lives, leaving Lacey trapped in her own personal hell, in conditions that you shouldn't even leave a plant in. They went on to work, church, friends, had meals together, and continued on their lives like Lacey never existed. And for them, 
When they closed the door to that house, she didn't exist anymore. They had their life on the outside and Lacey was just there, a fixture in their home that they likely gave no more thought to than you would a lamp or a curtain rod. But Lacey was a living, breathing, conscious human being. I don't think anyone has ever hinted that Lacey's cognitive abilities were limited in any way. Even Sheila herself never disputed that. Regardless of what you believe her diagnosis was, Lacey was completely capable of thinking and feeling. Smart as hell, remember? She loved Disney and at one time volleyball and her friends. I can't help but wonder what went through her head as her parents lived their life around her. Did she cry out for help? At what point was she unable to move? How many meals did she hear and smell being prepared in the kitchen that she knew she'd never eat? Could she hear her mother on the phone talking to this friend or that friend, all the while wishing she had a friend to talk to? How many times had she overheard her parents enjoying a movie night and wished she was included? Twelve years is a long time to cling to life. What was she fighting for? What were her goals and ambitions? When she closed her eyes and drifted off to sleep, what was it that she dreamed of? What was her last thought before she took her final breath? Was it of her parents? Lacey Ellen Fletcher deserved so much better than this. Her legacy shouldn't be the conditions that caused her death or even her diagnosis. May we all remember Lacey as the sweet girl who welcomed new students to class. Love Disney, country music, jogs around the neighborhood, and had the sweetest smile. And in her honor, let's remain vigilant in protecting the most vulnerable members of our society. Let's do it for Lacey. If you even suspect that a disabled or elderly person in your life is being neglected or abused, please reach out to your local Adult Protective Service Agency. In the U.S., you can find a complete list by going to napsa-now.org. That's N-A-P-S-A-Now.org. For more information about this case, head over to my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. I'll be bringing you an all new episode next Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, for the love of God, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.